Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Get the Table, another wrestling roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, and one of the Dudley boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture Here to discuss another burning wrestling issue. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We have interviews, more roundtable discussions like this one, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick. And, sir, we are gathered here to... Uh, we are socially distanced here today, for now at least, to talk about problems AEW must fix. And I thought you were a paid shill for all elite wrestling, Michael Sidgwick. What's going on here? Well, it turns out, Wilborn, that I'm not completely blinded and brainwashed by a set of initials. The initials holding a certain power over, over me. That means that they can do no wrong. Oh, well, it's AEW, therefore it must be good. If AEW did this, you would love it. No, as it turns out, I think there are creeping problems just seeping into that organisation, and they've sort of lingered around long enough now that I feel like, right, okay, for my enjoyment of the show, for the show to appear as an alternative, um, I feel like they should be addressed at this point. The fact that I could quite easily come up with 10 was a bit of a, was a bit sobering to me. Mm. Um I'll always, always, always go back to February 2020. This is oh. the absolute, my favorite five week, six week period of professional wrestling ever. Just this absolutely wonderful, expressive, incredible company, booking promos, match quality, the feeling of how awesome it was. That's going to be hard to replicate, mm. but that should be the goal. And I haven't had that feeling of February 2020 for quite some time. And I feel like some of the problems that are creeping in will mean that I will not get that for some time until these problems are addressed. No, I think I think it's a fair assessment. Like you say, that was, you know, not to be like, well, it's never going to be as good as that again. But that was a golden age of AEW and well, the world when you look about what yes. happened February 2020. But yes. You're telling me that Twitter egg I hate sludge dick isn't correct, that you are a paid shill. I love this, by the way, because I glanced at Twitter yesterday and there was someone saying, 
God, can you and the Daddy Boy stop being so bloody negative about AEW Dynamite for the one show where we were like, yeah, I didn't really like it this week. But anyway, like you say, there are inherent problems with uh, any wrestling show. And I'm sure, you know, even in February 2020, you could probably pick out issues nope. that always... No, nope, it was perfect. It was okay. perfect. Well, let's talk about current uh, AEW and, uh, and the creeping issues that you found. And let's start with something that has reared its ugly head on a few occasions now. And every time it is kind of divisive because people go, well, what about the Attitude Era? And you go, you really don't need to do something like this. And I know it's something that, that winds you up occasionally in terms of distracting from what is just inherently a very entertaining product. Indeed, right. Bit of backstory. I cannot stand the Attitude Era in retrospect. It's been so cannibalized in the discourse. WWE have created so many retrospective looks back at the Attitude Era um, that I just can't be asked with it anymore. I cannot be asked with it at all. And it's bad enough now that on WWE TV, they still use like an old echo of Vince Russo's format or the 1999-2000 format, which was great at the time because The Rock was fantastic at trash talk. Chris Jericho was fantastic at trash talk. These volleys of patter over an invisible wall used to work because you had these larger-than-life, super charismatic showmen who could go in the ring. And what's more, it was all completely fresh. As this sort of stopped happening and they got the scripted promo model implemented, TV writers just writing this absolute dreck, you realise, actually, this format sucks. It was just the stars who were good. Like, this format is rotten. I tell you on every single raw of you, and I will tell you this until I'm goddamn dead in the ground. Mm-hmm. I hate the Attitude Era format of impromptu main events. I hate it. Mercifully, AEW hasn't gone down that route. But one of my favourite moments in AEW history was before they even promoted Double or Nothing. Cody Rhodes... What a perfect feud this was for so many goddamn different reasons. He cut this fantastic promo on the road to Double or Nothing 2019, where he basically said that I'm sick of the Attitude Era. You are sick of the Attitude Era. It feels like to many people, the Attitude Era was almost the last chapter of pro wrestling, where we're living it through the format, where we're living it through documentaries. We are reliving it through the part-time stars from the Attitude Era who still get parachuted in for WrestleMania season. We are living it even through these Mark WWE wrestlers who get told to do photo shoots with the old belts and Shinsuke Nakamura's dressing up like corporate ministry undertaker. <laughs> Just get over it. Get over it. I know it was popular. Get over it. This is killing my goddamn investment in pro wrestling. So what Cody did was he articulated my feelings. And I gather the feelings of so many other people who bought Bullet Club t-shirts, who decided to get behind the Young Bucks. It's actually fresh, new, cool movement. In this promo, he said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. We can do something better than this. We can do something different to this. Maybe one day we can do something as big as this. And in a perfect, perfect wrinkle to his, this was essentially a mission statement for AEW mm-hmm. that doubled as a genuinely incredible brother versus brother feud because Dustin Rhodes, in Cody's mind, was the avatar for the Attitude Era, and he said, like, you're my brother, I hate to do this, but what you embody as a performer in your era, like, we need to get past it, and it sucks that it's you, my flesh and blood, but that's what we have to do. So for me, I was just elated. Oh, my God, we are going to see a new style of pro wrestling presentation, a new old style in which, and Dynamite actually did this for years, well, almost a year, but in its infancy, 
it wasn't a outwardly scripted show that you can tell is scripted by the very first segment, right? That's what Raw is. What's going to be the main event? Oh, we'll have to script something to get there. Hate it, hate it, hate it. AEW, by announcing its match card in advance, by formatting the angles without music, which they've ruined as well, by making the promos actually logical, by saying, oh, here's some post-match comments, or, well, here's such and such to promote a fight. The way I always put it was AEW was a sporting event that was captured, whereas WWE was a outwardly scripted show that was clearly scripted. Mm. Recently, we're getting Attitude Era tribute segments, which in addition to being quite derivative and lame, like the bubbly bath, how does this exist in this context of a sporting card that just happens to be filmed? Where are they getting the vehicles from? Why are the cameras always outside? And this is another problem as well. The wink, wink, nudge, nudge, pull the invisible camera. It's not enough at this point to say, oh, what's this camera doing here? Well, well, while you're here, we're going to do something wacky. Mm. Why would the camera be there? It's almost as bad as having an invisible camera to just take the piss with it. And the bubbly baths, the almost weekly vehicular destruction, it destroys the idea of AEW being a sporting card emulation far much more than a character like Marco Stunt or a character like Orange Cassidy mm. or a character like Luchasaurus does. They did such a wonderful, nuanced job of tweaking the Orange Cassidy character to make it make far more sense in context. People miss the point when they bury AEWs. I thought it was going to be sport. Look at Orange Cassidy. No, he still wants to win. He's mm. still like a strategist. This stuff that requires... So much suspension of disbelief if you actually apply a second of thought to it is not what I want from AEW. I feel like it's horrendously contrived. I feel like it's lame. I feel like the identity they'd formed in 2020 is slowly disintegrating. And moreover, the reason why for years people thought, well, why wouldn't the Attitude Era come back? Why wouldn't the Attitude Era come back? That was good. They should go back to there. In addition to the whole, they make far more money doing PG stuff. Yes. And courting advertisers as a result we had the attitude era for years and years and years much longer than people think it just masqueraded as ruthless aggression mm-hmm. which was almost identical in terms of format tone misogyny like outwardly scripted stuff it was almost identical to the attitude era and guess what ratings plummeted because it got very tiresome very fast mm-hmm. it was a fad and for whatever reason AEW was flirting with the idea of bringing these tropes back, and I don't want it. Would this happen in February 2022? In 2020, to a degree, John Moxley did some cool stuff with the sports car, but that just about worked because it was so limited in scope. Whereas now, it's just too much. Yeah, I, mean, I might get slightly muddled here because I've got so many things I want to say about this. Because I grew up, I was, you know, brought into wrestling during the Attitude Era. I turned the telly on, saw that, and was like, well, this is the best thing ever. And, and it was addicted to it. Do you know what I'd compare it to uh, in a very sort of convoluted way is when me and my mates talking about being at university and you think of university of like when you see it on like movies, for example, and it's just like, hey, party all the time, you know, whatever. And we talk about university like that. Oh, God, what, what a time that was. It was so great. Now we're on bloody jobs. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. We're stuck in the library half the time, writing essays or pulling all-nighters or whatever. Yes, we had fun, but we also had still had stuff to do. 
And it's similar to the Attitude Era because people, like you say, are like, oh, wasn't it great when, you know, Vince McMahon pissed himself or the, the beer bath or whatever. And then you're like, actually go back and watch uh, Monday Night Raw from then. You're like, oh, that's A, really convoluted and B, oh, really problematic and C, actually not that good all, you know, across the board. You can't have wall-to-wall Attitude Era, not only because of, uh, like you say, advertisers, but also because doesn't work it's not as good it was vince russo throwing some stuff against the wall and the ones that stuck people remember and the ones that don't people thankfully for the most part have forgotten yeah i agree in terms of like do you know what my issue is is the the bubbly bath for example is a photocopy of a photo of austin doing the beer bath and it it only inspires people. If I showed that to my friends now, like you should get into AEW. Look, they're doing this. Remember this from the Attitude Era? They will watch that and they'll go, oh, cool. Can we uh, click on the little side link on YouTube and just watch the actual Austin version of that? Because I yeah, remember yeah. that and that was great. Whereas, to bring it back to your original point, I have, I think it's time. Just let me check my diary. Yep, it's been sufficient amount of time. If I go back and watch MJF whipping Cody Rhodes, I don't think, oh, I want to see something else or, or something. It was creative. It was something and it was around that time and it built towards something that, you know, I don't want something that makes me think, oh, yeah, I remember that that other thing. I want to see something, you know, with with characters and motivations that I understand. That wasn't, you know. MGF whipping Cody for the sake of whipping Cody and a callback to something, you know, yes, there was this, this history there, but it is him desperately trying to get Cody to lay his hands on him. So he gets out of the match with Cody. That's why he draws it out and he gives Wardlow a shot. And when he suddenly realizes, oh, bollocks, when I've done this final shot, that's it. It's official. You know, the yeah. Wardlow steel cage match, et cetera, et cetera. It, I just, you know, it's, I don't want an homage to something else. I want, and they've proven themselves to be creative enough to create your own stories and history. And and, and like you say, that's a needless uh, copy of, of, of something else. Sort of a link one thing, to that. That's the thing. It's one thing to go back to Mid-South and yes, do an exactly. angle like the, like the lashing. It's one thing to do something that is almost timeless at this point, whereas in comparison the attitude era is just so overwhelmingly like oppressively familiar mm. and inimitable and like completely of its time and i just want to see far less of it mm, exactly and sort of linked to that i suppose uh because of you know tna's attempt to to be edgy and what have you is aw's use of props which you know for the most part works but when it doesn't work, a la obviously Jericho being thrown off the, the cell in blood and guts and smashing into the stage and everyone going, look at that, that's a crash pad. It just undermines everything, doesn't it? It's so weird because AEW at its very best, and I'm thinking of the Elite Hunter storyline. Some of it should have played out more on Dynamite and he shouldn't have lost his first match against the Elite. But the even though they haven't been expressed or built or like expressed or executed particularly well, the actual creative vision that has gone into Elite Hunter Frankie Kazarian is so fantastic, right? Frankie Kazarian poses himself a challenge in this wins and losses matter company. He's sick of losing. He starts winning. He gets a title match against the Young Bucks who are now heels. At the time that he set himself this challenge, he said, I want to fight my friends. What a way to go out that would be. What an honourable way to go out that would be. In the meantime, the books turn heel in a deft, 
dovetailing storyline. And then when SCU arrive at the books, dicks, you're going to cheat to win. You're going to cheat us out of this. You're going to be a complete arsehole to Christopher Daniels, your old hero, just for bleeding on your shoe. And I'm going to seek vengeance like a badass. If you look at all of the ways that this had to be arranged with the long-term vision, overlapping with different creative ideas, those ideas in themselves created brilliant moments like the, the Moxie Kingston feud. Mm. This company at its best is absolutely, completely outstanding. And yet they do easier things atrociously. And I just simply can't <laughs> comprehend it. If you think of all the thoughts that goes into the very best of their booking, not only is it just inexplicable that they will do things that make them look Bush League, right? But the fact that in a cosmetic industry, the Bush League stuff takes over the narrative. And with social media discourse being as it is, people are far more likely, because a lot of people are complete idiots, people are far more likely to focus and hone in on because it's the topic of the day and everyone has to have a take on something bad rather than something like incredibly ambitious in scope. Mm. No one's going to talk about the Elite Hunter. People will talk about Chris Jericho taking a bump through what is obviously cardboard before you could actually see the underneath because it's metal printed onto a bit of cardboard. <laughs> it's like, I, uh, I don't want to wade through this one again. It was so exhausting and tiresome at the time. Obviously, my idea was, right, what they should have done because it would have made sense and it was kind of consistent with how much AEW tends to think about things is instead of insulting the audience and trying to sell a piece of cardboard as a piece of metal. It just looked pitiful. TNA, it looked electrified cage levels bad, this metal printed cardboard. What they should have done was established a shot by saying, right, this is the biggest crowd we've had since the pandemic. Look at these. Look at everyone. They get this massive wide-angled shot. Then you see like the cage looks small and the audience looks big. If they had established that earlier in the night, it's Jesus Christ, guys, look how many people have come to the show. Not only A, is that a good flex, not only mm -hmm. B, is it a very cool visual. C, if you then shoot the Jericho fall from that angle, you've established it as something that isn't just, oh, let's cut away from this contrived angle yeah. to skewer, like what is a cushioned fall, right? But you make that feel organic. They didn't do this. What they did was they filmed it you could obviously see bits of cardboard covering a crash pad flying everywhere, and it just didn't look good. And if you look at how much effort had gone into that story between MGF and Chris Jericho for, like, the prop department and the production department to virtually kill the gravity of that moment. And the booking did as well by having Chris Jericho come back a week later, but that's another story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for them to just kill that moment, it's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? It's so easy to not be this dumb, particularly when elsewhere you're so smart. Yeah, and also, in a way, it also leans into their real sport feel. Because if somebody watches, like, UFC or football, for example, football's kind of different, obviously. But UFC, for example, when uh, Chris Weidman breaks his leg or when, you know, something really horrific happens... 
They don't immediately go, well, let's run that back, Joe Rogan. Let's see what just happened. They cut away. They cut away or they show something else. They show the other fighter or they show the crowd or whatever. So it wouldn't be weird, like you say, A, if you establish that shot, but B, if they go, oh, my God, MJF's going to try and kill Chris Jericho, you know, in KV. I mean, don't let's, oh, let's show a nice close up of a man dying. Like, that makes sense. And then once you've positioned it or produced it in a way, like you say, that you can present it and go, oh my God, here's what it looked like. Let's run it back. And as he's been, you know, because you have to show it, you can't not show it. But like you say, just, you know, and, and WWE got pelts for this the other day when they did the, the Drew McIntyre bump through the table. Nowhere near as much. Nowhere near as much, by no. the way. But, it, you know, that's almost in, in, in a way excusable because they go, right, well, well he's going to take a bump through this. And the, the hands coming out to relay out the broken bits of table or whatever. But that's akin to the way you should do it in terms of like, bump, right? I can imagine in my head how horrific that would have looked. Oh, there's the aftermath sort of thing. And you just yeah, play around with it. It's just the little tweaks, isn't it? And uh, and also them booking themselves into, into or not booking themselves, they're making stupid decisions. Like, I'm going to get some uh, frozen dead pigs hanging up in the back of the stadium. I mean, like, as I said, it's not just limited to... Like, that's a great point about the UFC thing as well. I hadn't even considered that a great point. But like, as you said, the pigs during the <laughs> freezing segment between Wardlow and Jake Hager, they looked like... The blood looked like glitter. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I mean, first of all, the sight of a dead pig is going to upset mm-hmm. vegetarians and vegans, right? It just is. I don't have any complaints to that. I'm a meat eater and I'd rather have everyone as humanly possible feel nice about watching a pro wrestling show. An unnecessary prop, even if it looked good, right? And it looked like mm. it looked horrendous. I can, and again, it's it's almost insulting. Like we need to look like we're in a freezer here. These bloody marks might not get it. Why can't this fight somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> fight ring or whatever. I mean, that looked bad. They threw themselves through some plaster wall as well, oh, which God, was yeah. clearly which was clearly erected just so someone could crash through it. It just looked fake. It just looked fake. And it's one thing to have these contrivances in the first place. If you are going to do them, make them not look Bush League. And again, like circling back to my original point before we move on, why do it? Like I just it just baffles me how Bush League, this company, can look when it feels at its best anything but. I just, very quickly before we move on, I love the idea of them having a chat going, okay, so we're going to have Hager and Wardlow and one's going to throw them through this wall and someone shows up just before they shoot and go, hang on, that that's a, clearly a fake wall. And they go, no, no, good point. Put one piece of paper on it. That'll, that'll cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, before we move on, uh, I just want to cover off some points that people may think, well, why aren't you talking about this? The ranking system uh, is something we've actually discussed in, in a longer form podcast, which you can go and check out right now, what culture wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from, we talked all about uh, the issues, how they fix <laughs> and, and the benefits of course, of AEW's ranking system. And if you think, why aren't they mentioning the iffy number of debuts that we've had in AEW? Well, we are going to talk about that in future. Me and Hamflet uh, in the next week or so, are going to sit down and talk about, you know, the fact that AEW, yes, have, if you want to go to the extreme, botched certain debuts, but to their credit as well, they have recovered them incredibly well. And you look at a lot of people now and you don't think, oh, ooh, that's a bit of an iffy debut. So don't be in, immediately concerned about someone like Andrade El Idolo because of the legacy that they have with these debuts of, yes, they may stumble out of the blocks, but once they get going, it's you know a long, long forgotten memory. So we will deal with that on another occasion. What I do want to talk to you about is something I know you've had an issue with for, for quite some time with AEW, and that is the commentary. Yeah, here's the thing: we've been like two years in at this point. We are two years in. I feel like the fact that we are two years into AEW now means that the third and fourth years aren't going to change. <sighs> Jim Ross is not the man for this job, in my opinion. And like, the thing is, it's hard because he got he got crapped on by WWE for so long. Mm -hmm. We know he's had some really horrible things happen to him in his personal life. It's a nuanced conversation that we're about to have. I hope people recognize that. And there's a certain compassion that goes through it too, because we know that Jim Ross has had a hell of a time of it in recent years. And it becomes more nuanced because there are certain times on AEW programming when Jim Ross is still the old brilliant Jim Ross. I'm going to butcher the hell out of this quote from that country song that wrestling seems to be obsessed with. He's as good once as he ever was at that booth is Jim Ross. He does such a magnificent job of putting over Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, John Silver, Jungle Boy. And what's funny, considering his certain tastes, is that he knows where his bread's buttered, so he will... Um, really do a tremendous job of getting the Young Bucks over. Yes. When we see Young Bucks adjacent stuff in other matches, you'll bury it. He knows where his bread's buttered. Tony Schiavone is perfect as this 
eternally pleased. Oh, isn't new wrestling great? That will never go <laughs> up. Should have, but it won't because it's just so goddamn charming and endearing. Excalibur is very good on the call, very good on play-by-play. Jim Ross will not allow himself to grasp that in AEW, much like ACW, much like modern-day New Japan Pro Wrestling, it is what it is. Whether you like it or not, don't watch it. Whether you like it or not, don't commentate on it. They simply allow lenient refereeing because it enables more action. Mm. There's a school of thought whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It doesn't matter. It's the thing that they do at this point. And you are hired and you are paid by this company to not bury it live on air and just kind of sap the mood and be pissy about it. He could do a better job of explaining it as his job, which he has paid a fortune to do. We would be so lucky to get the salary that he does, right? Can he not just get in the spirit? And if he can't allow himself to do that, can he not do some spin? Can he not say something to the effect of, oh, well, the referee's been really lenient here, but ultimately, fans, we want to give you a finish. We want to give you a decisive result because wins and losses matter here. Can he not bring himself to do some spin? Because what's annoying is that he will just directly bury either the wrestlers or the agents or the booker who put this match together and sprinkle in these very, very obvious at times. And sometimes it pisses me off, but it is what it is. It pisses me off. It shouldn't piss him off. He's at the booth. He's there as a mascot, as an ambassador for this company. But the thing that makes it worse is that Jim Ross will get pissy when he makes a mistake. Mm. When he said Pac was from Wales and Excalibur pulled him up on it, he went into a mood. I said, like, oh, all right, okay, thanks for going in a mood and ruining the vibe of this wonderful, incredibly dramatic three-way match I'm watching. Like He will actively, by going into a mood when his quite frequent mistakes are sort of pulled up on, he will get pissy and go in a mood about it and kind of ruin, and just bring down this vibe because incredible wrestling promotion on telly look at the range of it look at the expression look at the creativity look at the state of the art athletic ring work and then you got Jim Ross one rule for Jim Ross and another rule for like the bookers the agents and the officials and the wrestlers he will get pissy and it just really drives me nuts at this point I think that Jim Ross should be not relegated transitioned to a role where he can do one or two dynamites, mm-hmm. or one or two matches on dynamite, and just accentuate the positives and hide the negatives. Apply Paul Heyman's famous maxim to this commentary stuff. If there's a match that Jim Ross is almost certain not to like, simply don't have him commentate. If there's a match that he can definitely bring the old timeless gravitas that he can. Put them at the booth. Put them at the booth for MGF, Chris Jericho, Moxley, Kingston, the people you know he liked. If TH2 are having a match against Jurassic Express, <laughs> let, them, let them have a joint or eat some barbecue outside and then just bring them back in because he's actively detracting from it at this point. And it's, mm. he doesn't like this criticism. And I understand why he doesn't like this criticism because he does such an important and good job elsewhere on this brand that. It's kind of like dark art stuff in terms of how to get someone over. If you contrast Jungle Boy's presentation and how Jim Ross loves him 
and builds them and gets them over and promotes them. And you contrast it to what WWE do with their guys. Now, Jim Ross remains on another level, but the problem is he's stuck on that level and he will not, you just will not sanction the things that he doesn't like. I would transition him into a special guest commentary role. And it's not just me. I think there is a, I don't want to say universal, but I read a lot more complaints about JR than I do praise. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it feels bad to talk about this, but it's necessary. This is a conversation that's important to, to, be, to be had in terms of, I love him. You know, he's the voice of my childhood. And when I talk to friends of mine who say, what's, what's this AEW lock? Still to this day, they go in and they go, oh, yeah, there's there's Chris Jericho. And I remember, I remember that Cody lad, you know, people like that. And also the voice of JR is like a welcoming blanket of like, oh, yeah, I remember this. So there is unquestionably benefits to having him there. But yeah, like you say, when he openly questions a tag team's motivations that are meant to be the baby faces, it undermines them. When he, like you say, goes in a mood. This is wrestling. We, you cannot, unless you're Michael Hamlet, know everything about wrestling and, you know, you will correct me sometimes or I'll let you know about, you know, UFC stuff away. It just, it just be open to that. And just, you, you've got to be learned to be able to be like, well, you know, I'm, you know, he's American. I'm, if I sat here and did an American accent and some American went, that's not this state you're talking about. That's a different state. You go, oh, okay. I understand that maybe he doesn't know the difference between England and Wales or whatever like that. It's simple stuff that you should, but you just sit there and go, oh, well, it's all the same over there to me. Or, well, you know, it just just take it on the chin. But particularly when it is when he stumbles and undermines something like when he's like, well, here's Andy Andrade and Andy Eldelilo. And like, For God's sake, this is really important. Here's Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, it's just... It, you know, and I, I feel bad. And obviously, you know, he's, he's been through a hell of a lot. And, you know, this isn't us having a go at him. Just I, I think you're right. It's not a saying they've got to get rid of him. And I think it would enhance him even more if you brought him in. It's like a special attraction, like you say, whether it's just for the pay-per-views or just for the big, big dynamites or just for the big matches on dynamite. I think that may well benefit him and 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 take the the pressure off because eventually you're going to have to transition into you know an Excalibur taking or the role lead role or whatever it may be, uh, and it's not like they've got a shortage of other voices. Your Mark Henry's your big shows that could be lent to something like that. Like they all have their roles to play in all this, so it's not us saying they got to get rid of Jim Ross. It's just it's just understanding, like you say, that the strengths and weaknesses um, that they have. Now, it seems weird to be asking you this question, but in terms of episodic television, are there too many angles in AEW? That's bonkers for me just to be saying something like that. But it is kind of a valid criticism to a point, isn't it? I've said for a while that this Dynamite television programme, excellent though it broadly is, is episodic to a fault. And what I mean by that is certain moments simply aren't allowed to register as moments. And this is a bit of a crucial issue because these moments, when they're allowed to register, like enrich like the actual emotional heft of what you're doing. If you rush through them or if you repeat them and it's redundant, then you're not accomplishing what episodic angle-driven pro wrestling TV functions to do. And that is build and build and build your long-term weekly investment to get you on the hook to watch it all the time. That's why they do so many angles. 
But at the same time, if you don't feel anything about the angles, then it doesn't matter how many angles you do. It's like subtraction by addition. Mm-hmm. When SCU, having lost unfairly to the Young Bucks, like embraced in the ring, it's like, right, we've got, we've got to shoot an angle, we've got a pay-per-view to do. And it's like, do you? Because I'm not a goldfish. Mm. I understand that the Young Bucks and Eddie Kingston and John Moxley are engaged in a feud. I don't quite need a continuation of that. I know it's happening. Please trust me to remember that it's happening. What I would like to do is I'd like to feel an enormous amount of sympathy and an outpouring of respect to SEU in their last stand. We saw two seconds of the embrace. Then right next to the next thing, there was no gravity to that moment. No gravity to it whatsoever. And it was such a goddamn shame because Christopher Daniels deserved that moment. He absolutely did. Yeah. And if you want to think about it more cynically, Frankie Kazarian needed that minute-long embrace, mm. soaking in the applause. I think there were fans for that one. Um, so you could allow yourself to think, right, God damn it, look at Kazarian. is in floods of tears. What a man. What a shame that his original idea to improve his lot has been crushed by these arsehole young bucks. I'm desperate for him now to go out there and take down the Super Elite one by one. What they did by that was not only did they just undermine a nice moment, they actively detracted from this wonderful idea of the Elite Hunter, Frankie Kazarian. Yeah. And it's not just that. I've seen Matt Hardy like three weeks now either beat up or outwit Christian Cage. Like, I'm going to try and provide a solution here, as functional as it is. Instead of doing a consecutive post-match attack, which is made further redundant by the idea that it happens virtually half of the matches on Dynamite, Christian Cage can win. He can celebrate. He can have his victory put over by the commentary team. You are left with the unmistakable impression that Christian Cage is a winner in the wins and losses matter promotion. Instead of getting attacked by Matt Hardy, which just makes you think about the angle and not the fact that Christian Cage is a winner, then later on in the show, in a pre-tape taunt, Matt Hardy can say, what a great match that was against, who did he beat? Angelico. Mm. So Angelico's very good, but he's not an icon. He's not a legend. He's not an innovator, blah, 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 blah. And then that's it. You don't have to do a post-match angle. You're still continuing that story. But what you're doing at the same time is that you're making the format of the show feel less chaotic and repetitive and numbing, but you're still telling a storyline. That's just one example. Um, There is just too many angles being shot on the show. And again, people will say, oh, can you not follow it? Yes, I can follow it. Hmm. It's not Twin Peaks. I can follow it. What I'm saying is that I would like to feel more about it. You know, I would like to feel more about the show than I am at the moment. Here's the thing, right? If you go back to, this isn't the February 2020, like high watermark example. This was on the build to full gear. There was a fourth or fifth dynamite ever. Hangman Page versus Sammy Guevara. They had a match. They were also embroiled in the umbrella conflict of the elite versus the inner circle. What didn't happen, because it would have been redundant, is that... Hamman Page and Sammy Guevara weren't flanked by their faction members. There wasn't constant interference. 
Hangman Page beat Sammy Guevara clean in the middle. And then later on in the night, there were further developments in the um, faction war, the stable war, and these things were kept neat and tidy. The byproduct of which was Hangman Page got over as someone who's a pay-per-view caliber opponent for Pac. Sammy Guevara lost, but got something in defeat. And then he got over as a heel by being a little sneaky bastard later on in the show. It was just cleaner. Mm. Just a cleaner way of defining who your stars were. And like I remember so fondly those amazing show-closing brawls, like the nitro energy of, oh, we can't contain it. We'll have to go off the air. Sorry, we can't capture it, but these grown men can't be controlled. And this conflict cannot be controlled. We have to go off the air. Sorry. But no, tune back next week because you probably get more of this. Mm. That felt like a genuinely electric, real rivalry, the peak of the inner circle versus the elite. And now I don't think any stable war in AEW has quite the same amount of heft or importance or must see quality to it. And it's because so much of it is sprinkled throughout the show. Mm. On the contrary, I'm not goldfish. I remember yeah. that those first dynamites were criticized in good faith for once because there weren't enough promos on them. Um, a lot of it was just very, very match heavy, clean result, clean result, clean result. And the complaint at the time was, well, you're building this amazing story at the top, but underneath there's not that much going on. It's just a lot of matches. Again, what they did subsequently, that was perfect dynamite throughout February 2020. 2020. Just do that. Just do that. I would implore anyone in the corridors of power in that company to just sit down and watch those six, seven weeks. Mm. I really would. Because I was thinking, like, Dave Meltzer is hoying about five-star-plus ratings. I want him to go back and watch a card or Omega. One. If you watch that again, you'd think, oh, right, okay, I've taken it too far because nothing's as good as this. <laughs> On the same lines, AEW, top brass, need to watch that February 2020 run. It was the most critically acclaimed. The numbers were soaring. The arenas were getting sold out on the strength of how good the TV was. Please go back and watch that period. It was unbelievable. Uh, Final point I want to make. I have to be careful with how I sort of present this because it's going to sound incredibly derogatory, Um, but it is emblematic. And it also isn't very fair in terms of the fact of right now, where we are, I mean, we've got the Saturday Dynamite to come now, so that's slightly different. And then we return to Wednesday Dynamite, saying we've got Road Rage and Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fall and what have you. So it, it's it, it's been a, a kind of skewed presentation at the moment because if you put the main event in the main event, that's going on at quarter to midnight or whatever time it is over in America on a Friday. And you know, the, we've seen the viewership figures. You know, it, you have to kind of t- twist the way you present that show as a result of that. But it's not all elite is it and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it is it needs to be considered with the structure of the show going forward yeah here's the thing right people will if you express an opinion they will say oh well at least it's not this it's like well right okay but we might be on the other side of the extreme at this point it can't be all elite you need young green people because one, they will evolve into stars. Two, it's really rewarding to watch them evolve into stars like Darby Allen and Jungle Boy, etc. But you need people to beat. You need people to beat in predictable matches. Anything that emulates a sporting league or a tier 
needs some absolute bang average 1-0 wins on a Saturday 3pm kickoff. Hmm. It's just how these things work. It's logical for them to work like this. Everton versus Crystal Palace, 1-0 at Goodison. Yeah, right, okay, that was a bit boring, but that's just how these things work in reality. You need people who aren't stars or stars yet on the show to make the stars appear like stars. So I'm not going to complain about something like, all right, okay, well, here's an up-and-comer versus an established solid mid-card vet. I hate the word solid in pro wrestling, but I understand that it has to happen. You have to have functional things happen on your show to make the electrifying moments feel like genuinely great. I'm just not saying you should do cartwheels over them like some people do. But with the greatest will in the world, and, you know, I think he shows promise, so I'm not burying him, just to establish that. Nick Comoroto is not headlining shows in Texas in front of 5,000 people. <laughs> just isn't. Um, like that just isn't happening. Ten, uh, they seem to really like him. They seem to see a lot of potential in him. And I think this take will date badly in about six months because they're probably better at scouting talent than me. In fact, they decidedly definitely are. Hmm. I don't think he's warranted as many Dynamite main events as he's had, for example. Um, don't get it twisted. It was obviously lovely that he was on the Brody anniversary show. But subsequent to that, I don't think I've seen enough in him that says, right, here's what he could be doing. You, people don't have enough imagination. That's my issue. We could all be living in spas forever. In this on this world, but we're not because people don't have the imagination to realize oh, this capitalist structure is wrong. It should all just be well-being and living in spas. People don't have the ad- imagination to think, right, okay, well, here's what should be happening. A good promoter is essentially a booker. He's a storyteller, but what, he's, what it is, it's this wrestler fights this wrestler. He's a matchmaker. And I understand why they're withholding these big matches, but at the same time, you should there isn't the sense, and this is, and I've had this for quite some time. I haven't been getting the sense for a long, long time that AEW is making maximum use of its roster. Mm. I understand that they are probably preserving the best TV matches they have for a nine o'clock, half nine on a Wednesday when the most people are watching. But the longer this happens, the more people might just start like not wanting to come back to the Wednesdays. You know, who knows? We'll see in a couple of months. Maybe this take will age very, very badly. But for now, it just feels like it's not all elite. Would anyone really notice Matt Hardy if he wasn't there? Mm. I I can understand why they want him there. They worship him as an innovator, as a hero. He's probably really good and valuable for his advice. Um, Does he make this... All Elite. Has he left All Elite Wrestling? To paraphrase what all the wrestlers say, better than how he found it. Mm. Absolutely not. It's a really interesting point. And, and like you say, it's going to be fascinating. This, this is such a, a huge time for wrestling going forward as we come out of the, you know, still not 100% safe, stay up, follow all the rules, wear a mask, etc., etc. But as we come out of it, it's going to be fascinating to see how all wrestling companies present this. In particular, like these next few weeks and months are crucial for AEW. It's not the you know the end of the world, but it is important to re-establish themselves because it couldn't have come at a worse time than pandemic. Obviously, you never want a bloody pandemic, but in terms of they were they were on that upward trajectory. We were sat here talking about them potentially overtaking Monday Night Raw, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. This hits and 
all that good work is is you know undermined and everyone has to adapt to it and some companies adapt better than others but going forward yes it hopefully you know they've they've got the potential there they've got the, the things in line to it's not like wwe where there's something like right let's start making good wwe television again let's start trying um aw does have the potential it is just about, as we said, not wholesale changes, just tweaking the issues we've discussed here. Uh, Sidwick's written more about it. Uh, check out the article at whatculture.com if you want to know about some more of the creeping issues they must fix. This isn't about wholesale changes, just to conclude here, Sidge. It is about, you know, someone who adores the product with the, the tweaks that he'd like to see made. Yes, absolutely. I don't think there's anything drastic as transformative change required. I just feel like bad habits just creep in. Mm. And the worst thing about AEW's profile and the wrestling sphere, if you like, is that because so many criticisms are made towards this company in bad faith, mm-hmm. you can almost understand why management there and the wrestlers with like creative input will at some point listen to this horrendous white noise and just think, right, it's time for me to put my ears my fingers in my ears and not listen because everyone just does it in bad faith. People want us to fall, the e-drones or whatever. Hmm. But, you know, there are creeping problems and I just hope that they don't, like, block out the genuine good faith criticisms because bad habits become hard, bad habits and they are hard to shake. Well, let us know your thoughts on uh, the problems AEW must fix on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our AEW Dynamite preview will be coming out on Saturday. It's a Saturday Dynamite, of course, this week. And the review will be coming out on Monday. Yeah, depending on how things go. Who bloody knows at the moment? But yes, hopefully our review will be out on Monday for that one. But uh, this has been Get the Table. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we. We'll see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.